It's time once again for another episode of Bar Talk Radio, brought to you in part by the United States Bartenders Guild Atlanta Chapter, broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta and around the world. And now, please welcome your host, Anthony Porquez. Good afternoon and welcome to Bar Talk Radio. This is Anthony Porquez, your host and the USBG president. And uh, today we have a fantastic day. It's a nice chilly day in the middle of December here in Atlanta. But I think uh, at least one of our guests has something with us that uh, might be able to warm us up today. So uh, really looking forward to, to having uh, our discussion today, which is centered around local distilling here in Georgia. Uh, we had fantastic feedback uh, during our National Education Week in October, which both of our guests here participated in. And we had such great feedback from our members that were like, let's get them on the show and let's talk about this together as a group and about like this such this force that's been happening locally here in the state over the past couple years. So um, let's go ahead and dive right in. Like I said, we're talking about the history and trends of Georgia spirits and distilling. Today with me, I have uh, Michael Anderson of Independent Distilling and Jazz Yarjiviak from Hope Springs Distillery. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, so um, how's everything going today? It's cold, man. It's yeah. cold. <laughs> it's cold. I today. don't do well with cold. <laughs> yeah, we That's do. why we live in Georgia. <laughs> yeah, just out of, you know, real, we'll get into some processes, but has that really affected things at the distillery? For sure. You guys? Uh, so, at least on my part, uh, we have two different stills that we run right now. We have a 300-gallon still that's uh, steam-jacketed. We have a massive uh, BTU um powered gas burner that runs that we never have issues with that mm-hmm. but we also have an eight gallon still uh, that we use propane right now to heat propane yeah heated. so <laughs> i went in uh a couple weeks ago we've been trying to make a little modifications but i went in a couple weeks ago and i was trying to run it i was there for eight hours we could not get a single drop out of that still because it was 40 degrees outside oh, in a uh non-heated uh distillery that makes some problems. So we've we found a way to work around it, but that definitely affects a business like a distillery in ways you wouldn't even realize until you're trying to make it work. Right. Interesting. Have you have you encountered any problems, Michael, independent? Yeah, I, I mean, like he said, we we don't have any uh, temperature control. So, but uh, one of the yeah. things that it actually helps with is uh, cooling. You know, when we're trying to keep uh, ferments under a certain temperature, when it's you know 98 degrees out, that's a challenge. And then. You know, when it's cool like this, we don't have to work as hard for it. So, so it's, it's good for... It, it, can be, it can be good and bad. So cold weather is good for fermentation, but it's not great for actually producing spirits. Yeah, when you're trying to heat up uh, a large container of liquid and herbs to, you know, <laughs> distillation temperature, and you've got a cold wind coming in a door, and right. it's, uh, you know, 35 degrees outside, you're fighting what normally you'd have a 60-degree bump you know, when two weeks ago it was 85 degrees outside, you start at 85 degrees and you work up. Right. But if you start at 40 degrees or 35 degrees, you're fighting a bigger headwind. Right. Yeah, well, that makes complete w- sense. When you're mashing 400 gallons of, uh, <laughs> of, of whiskey mash, <laughs> you'd much rather it be 40 degrees than 98 degrees. Yeah, that's Absolutely. True. That's Absolutely. true. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, well, you know, this is fantastic. It's both, it's, it's uh, great to have both of you here so we can actually maybe nerd out a little bit on the distilling part yeah. and, and maybe like educate some people on that, which is always really fun. Uh, but I think a great place to start uh, would be to talk about just briefly the history of distilling in Georgia. And I know, uh, Michael, you've had a huge part in affecting Georgia law for the spirits industry. So 
Um, if you can just for a couple of minutes, just maybe share your story about what you know about the history of, of Georgia and how that's evolved. Well, fortunately, by the time I uh, came along, I, I started looking at doing this about six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And on the federal and state level, the they had kind of gotten caught up on, on the state level. There were a handful of distilleries, and so they were at least aware of it. It was on the local level was, mm-hmm. was the most challenging because you're showing up and you're the pers- first person since Prohibition to show right. up and you're asking for distilled spirits. They keep handing you the craft brewer's license packet and, you know— they just they don't know what to do with you, uh, and that's one of the reasons we wound up in Decatur is they were fantastic to work with, and they they right. changed zoning to allow for distilling. They changed the city ordinance to create a license for me to even apply for um, because there just there's nothing on the books. You know, prohibition wiped out small distillers, so uh, you're you're just now seeing that change. So hopefully, uh, as other people come on the scene. Uh, it'll be easier for them because uh, as, as crazy as some people think I'm kind of crazy when I say this, but we need more distilleries right. um, in Georgia. It's more of the small guys just because uh, you know, we every day we have tours, people come in and are like, we didn't even know there are distilleries in Georgia. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a positive thing as as we grow. Um, but yeah, the the first distillery in Georgia, craft distiller in Georgia uh, was 2008. So I mean, it's still mm-hmm. brand new. And who was that? Uh, that was uh, in America's 13th Colony. 13th Colony uh, was, they were really the first one. Well, the, the first Rum. small distillery. Yeah, Rich Laurent. Yeah. Yeah. Eric Vonk yeah, will claim 1999. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, he wasn't uh, full full producing uh, until a bit later. And um, we, all, we all know and love Eric. Um, yeah. But yeah, he certainly for rum, he's done incredible things. He turned me into a, a rum guy. Yeah, and <laughs> being a single, the only single estate rum distillery in the country in little you know, Richland, Georgia is, is yeah. kind of crazy. He kind of embodies a lot of, of what's really great about what small distilling can be. Yeah. So historically, you know, we it's only been like the past four years, well, 2008, since we've had distilleries in Georgia. Yeah. And then you opened Independent four years ago, right? Yeah, we, uh, we were all licensed up uh, in the very end of 2013, so just uh, started producing in the beginning of 2014, so we're coming up on four years. Wow. Um, four years in February, so we need to get to <laughs> get on top of throwing a, a four-year anniversary. But Yeah, you should um, definitely do that. We, we should talk about that and uh, let us know when, you're, when you throw a big anniversary party. But, um, but that's great. What about you, Jazz? Like, how, how did you what, – what do you perceive in terms of – you're younger, mm-hmm. so – and you're, you're 25, is that correct? I'm 22. 22. Okay. Yeah, this is a really great story, by the way, because Jazz and I – uh, worked together at Holman and Finch years ago and, and met when he was 19. Mm-hmm. So to see you now at 22 working behind the still, which is fantastic, is, is really fun um, so to see how that's progressed. But, yeah, what about where, you know where your perception of the history of Georgia, what you know, and how that's affected today? Well, I'll start by saying, actually, my love for distilling and spirits came from Holman and Finch, where I was working there. It was my first kind of uh, introduction to a world of alcohol that was um, meant to be artistic. Mm-hmm. You know, it served a higher purpose. Um, and I'm the type of person I fall in love with, you know, things that are a blend of art and science, which distillation is a perfect example of that, you know, intersection. Um, and I want to see how something is made, the process behind it. Um, I started looking into distilleries, and especially in Georgia. Uh, and across the United States, it, it's easy to 
uh, say that distilling right now in the U.S. is sort of where craft brewing was maybe 20 years ago, mm-hmm. where people started to get interested, realized they could maybe uh, pursue this as, as something they could make um, and, you know, share with the world around them. Uh, so Georgia, of course, has had a massive uh, boom in craft brewing. We're seeing a lot of these small guys come up and make really good product and, you know, share it. Um, it seems like you'd be hard to find... Uh, anyone who can't name a couple cool IPAs coming out, you sure. know, within a couple miles of them in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely agree with Michael that, you know, we should be seeing more distilleries open up here. Mm-hmm. When people say, oh, another gin, I'm like, there's one gin being made in Atlanta right now. How many IPAs are being made, you know, right. around the block? Um, so I think there's so much room for expansion there. And I'm happy to see that on both the state level and on the national level there's this recognition that distilleries have something to offer uh, for both their communities but also just for the artistic landscape of uh, their region so there's a lot to offer there and i think we're only going to keep growing in that division that's a good point that's a really great point so michael with you it it depended like how did you you said you were talking about this about six years ago Mm -hmm. or um, how did you officially get started with this uh, or opening <laughs> IDC, for that matter. Uh, officially. Because, I mean, it's an interesting story, right? I mean, this is such – I mean, I talk about it all the time, how this is such a strange industry in a lot of ways. No one falls into you know, it. Like you know, you, like you have to be running towards it like a steam train. Yeah, like how you how you fall your, find yourself doing things in this industry is always an interesting story to me. So, um, it, so like, yeah, how did, how did that happen for you? Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the cool things about it is everybody has kind of their own background. Nobody mm-hmm. – grew up wanting to be a distiller that, that I'm aware right. that I've met yet. Right. Um, yeah, I read an article about a small distillery about seven years ago, and I just got kind of, uh, it, you know, it really caught my interest, and I started reading. The more I started reading about it, the, the more, and I'd been a, a big whiskey guy prior to that, um, so, you know, I already had an interest there, and then, uh, you know, again, like, I was reading about it and learning more and more, and I just got more and more into it, and I, I maybe got a little bit carried away. Um, <laughs> you know, and I went and uh, saw guys like Eric Vonk at Richland Rum and talked to him and seeing his process. And I mean, you know, okay, it, so it, it went straight to spirits. It's not like you started off in beer and then from beer. I did, well, as, as far as learning, uh, the first thing I did was I, I went out and started home brewing. Yeah, uh, you know, when, yep. when you're making a distilled spirit. Um, you know, everything up to the going into the still is mm-hmm. you can learn from brewing. And in fact, right. to me anyway, that's the that's the technical stuff. That's the hard part, particularly with mm-hmm. the type of uh, spirits we're making. We're using these pot stills. Well, when you're using a pot still, mm-hmm. whatever you put in, all those flavors are coming back out on the other side. So you got to get it right. Right. Um, so if uh, you know you can make good beer, then you're you're well on your way. And that's again, that's where a lot of the technical stuff, the water chemistry, mm-hmm. um, pH, temperatures, all these different things that you need to know um, to be able to create something good to go into the still sure. um, you can do it totally legally since <laughs> home distilling is uh is frowned upon by the authorities right still on um, the books yeah, yeah. right <laughs> but, you know yeah. they sell those small little like stovetop stills now for decoration yeah. 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 But, yeah i mean definitely for decoration yeah you know and i'm always thinking like yeah that's like a time bomb waiting to go off for the wrong person you well know you know i i got into this in sort of the same way where you start to uh have this interest I'm a hands-on person. I want to build and make absolutely everything that I can. And so you start with homebrewing, and you start looking at all these processes and reading what other people have done to make things better. Uh, really, it's you want a product that you can't get. Right. Uh, and if, it, if you're like me, if you're like Michael, um, 
you're going to have that product if mm-hmm. you have to make it every step of the way right. and it ends up being a year long you know years long process to do that but you get to this point where pursuing it as a hobby uh has the possibility to put yourself in hot water and really that's what turned me i was like i'm getting too interested mm-hmm. in something i need to take it full blast and go 60 miles an hour instead of 35 right um there's a point of no return there's that point point of no return you start investing your time and your your research and your interest and you're buying old cocktail books and you know you're looking into gosh i can't tell you how many foreign language documentaries that had no subtitles that i watched just to try to get you know one little gleam of information like hey this chartreuse documentary like Mm -hmm. what are they doing you know i don't understand French as well as I did back in high school. <laughs> but, you know, you start to sit there and you're like, maybe I need to do this full time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a level of, of the extent of your passion is to watch French documentaries with no subtitles. Together. It kind of, it kind of, yeah, it's a sign. Yeah. You know, when you sell your motorcycle yeah. to try to get a business license, you're like, yeah. I'm kind of serious. Yeah. There you go. Well, there one of the go. ways that the, I mean, the industry's changed. It's incredible what's happened in just a few short years since I started looking at this. But sure. now, you can go there are several universities now that offer courses in this oh yeah things that didn't exist years ago now you can actually get a local, degree local university no no no, not local i was we're, about to say we're so awesome. far you know oregon and stuff like that <laughs> yeah out there on the west coast yeah uh but i well uh sense. actually uh, the michigan state has a, a really strong program right? and it has for a while um but yeah no, nobody here this the southeast we're the we're the bible belt right we're, well you know one we're day still getting there if you want to learn you go on a mountain and Get a get an old guy with some corn. You that's know. right. <laughs> find find a nice creek and just set up shop. Right. Well, that's great. Well, that's that's really inspiring. I mean, to hear about you know how you guys, you know, because you never know. It's just all about following a passion to a large degree. And a lot of when you do that, you you cannot see down the road, especially if you're transitioning from a career that has nothing to do <laughs> with this industry. So it's uh, a lot of kudos to you guys for you know listening to yourselves and looking at what you're passionate about and going after it in general, but uh, also to contributing to this, this really cool, you know, feature to what's happening here in the state, not just in Atlanta. Um, so, and, and we were talking about beer, right? Like good yeah. beer makes good spirits, right? Uh-huh. And you did that with your beer schnapps. Yeah. Uh, well, we did line. a couple, so we're fortunate where we are and that we've got uh, blue tarp directly adjacent to us. Right. And we've also got three taverns. Uh, right across the parking lot, mm-hmm. so we've distilled beer from both. the The interesting one was the beer schnapps, yeah. uh, where they had their feast Noel, um, right. their winter seasonal, and which they, is delicious, by the way, on its own. Yeah, it, it, it was phenomenal. They came to me and said, "You want to distill it?" And this is this is where it's fun to be a small distiller. You know, if you're right. one of the big, you know, massive uh, producers, and somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, you want to distill 300 gallons of beer?" You know get yeah. out <laughs> please leave they you know they asked me and i'm like hell yeah bring it over yeah, let's do um it. so you know they trucked it over in kegs and we pumped it straight to the still and distilled it and again going back to the fact that we use these pot stills so you know all those spike you know it's a big heavy mm-hmm. spice beer cardamom clove um and and so all the spices come in the distillation all that great malt base uh, it, it was and then we barrel aged it uh for about 22 months and it, yeah, it was absolutely fantastic yeah you and the interesting thing is there wasn't a pre-designated category for that was there uh the federal government may be called a grain cane spirit the grain cane uh, i'm pretty sure they made that up yeah that sounds that sounds made up yeah the dtb (laughs) has has a couple uh a couple of uh obstacles put forward in this race that we have so like for instance absinthe uh is one of the first products that we're making at hope springs distillery and 
there is no absence category and they refuse to make one. Uh, so you have to submit it as a, a specialty spirit with very particular like descriptions. Right. Um, and, and to be clear, Jazz, you, you, are you producing several different types of absence or just one line right now? Or? So right now there is one line. In the future, I plan to have uh, a couple different absinthe levels. Okay. So right now we're using a wheat neutral base as the alcohol for absinthe. That's what we also okay. use for our vodka, top hat vodka. So it's just simpler to be able to use them both. Uh, the next level that I intend to produce uses a grape-based spirit okay. with the same herb blend. Uh, that's because traditionally absence used a brandy base mm -hmm. uh so it'll be a more authentic flavor and i think a little bit better uh and then i intend to have one more level above that uh that has a handmade grape base but it also has uh neutral aging uh mm. added to that mixture yeah let's talk a little bit more about that i mean absinthe is not exactly a category where most people who open the distillery are like yeah, let's make absinthe because that'll be a money maker. It's the you know, it's the it's nerds <laughs> nerds kind of drink, <laughs> which yeah. actually has a fantastic history. Absinthe, it's, yeah. um, colorful is a word that's used right. to describe it. Um, Especially coming like industrial revolution. Oh, and, for and sure. No one had seen like a, a a spirit change color when you added water to it. So there was like this whole magical kind of fascination behind the spirit. So absinthe itself, and I've read countless books, half of them containing you know wrong information because the most prevalent information on absinthe out there is wrong um so when you start to delve into it the history is fascinating the process behind creating it uh is often shrouded more than it should be mm -hmm. uh so really absinthe for me because i actually started my interest in spirits uh, along the same lines of thinking like if i take craft beer which have has all these flavors that whiskey usually doesn't you know like mm -hmm. hops uh extra boiling um, you know, processes in production. If I take that and distill it, what kind of flavors can I get out? If I take like a mm -hmm. pumpkin beer and distill that, what's it going to taste like? And you can't really find a lot of that on the market. You're starting to now. Mm -hmm. Back when I was interested, you really couldn't unless you went to California for like the one place that did it. Is there someone databasing that kind of stuff for experimental dis distilling where like, hey, we took this kind of beer and then distilled it and it has these flavor profiles? There are a couple, a couple places, but mostly it's just in your own notebook. Right. Uh, everyone kind of yeah has to find it for themselves right now, uh, and that's why you are seeing these universities and classes pop up. Um, Jazz, pass those cups and your your absinthe over here. Yeah, I think while it sounds like a good time for talking, a tasting. Yeah, yeah, while you're talking about it, let's let's try your. And I'll talk about my process there. a little bit. I know this all is right. bar talk radio, but we can do it bar tasting radio too, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I'm all for that's it. That's the the late night radio show. <laughs> exactly. Rich, yeah. from moving forward, we're just going to have all guests who are the spirits of the I agree. That, just that's, bring stuff in. That's a requirement, yeah. And you can pass a, a sample this way as well. Absolutely. Uh, while they're absolutely uh, passing fair. out the samples and the drinks, we're uh, listening to uh, bar talk radio being brought to you by the United States Bartenders Guild. And um, gentlemen, if you would share once again exactly what are we sampling here. All right, so this is Jetty Absinthe. Uh, if you want to follow along a little bit, there's an Instagram account, Jetty Absinthe, uh, and that's J-E-T-T-Y. So this is uh, basically the first uh, spirit that I have released as a totally artistic uh, kind of concept spirit. So um, it's an absinthe made in a very traditional style uh, with all of the traditional herbs found in absinthe, but with a couple other... Uh, notes to it as well. Um, so being a traditional absinthe, uh, there are a lot of steps that you have to go through. So first you take neutral alcohol. I take it at 85% alcohol and I macerate or uh, kind of like tea steep uh, mm -hmm. wormwood, 
uh, anise, fennel, and thyme with mm-hmm. that. Uh, so it extracts these flavors because alcohol at its base is a solvent. It's a preservative. Um, I take that, redistill it in the most simplest form, a pot still. So it just passes over all of those essential oils, all of those uh, you know bright flavors. I take that spirit uh, and I colorate a portion. The coloration adds this olive green color, uh, which slowly turns brown over time yeah, uh, because say, chlorophyll. The, the color is beautiful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, and it's all natural. So that's the chlorophyll. It starts out right when I color it. It's this deep uh, jade emerald. But over time, uh, it starts to turn that more like olive color. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have rich. no idea what he's saying, but this tastes unbelievable. Yeah. Either it's wow. Don't drink it all at once. Yeah, <laughs> take it slow. <laughs> take it slow. So um, what proof is this? It's at 134, if so you're wondering. Is, yeah, this is 67% alcohol. Now, normally with absinthe. This is 134? Absinth, 67%. So with absinthe, you water it down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you do. Uh, if we've got our like bottles, just you can pour a little yeah. bit there and not worry about doing the uh, traditional louche. Can I mix um, it with my coffee over here? Or, yeah, that'd be tasty. <laughs> uh, nice heavy coffee. Yeah, yeah. Um, very French. Uh, so, the coloration process. Uh, I use a couple different natural herbs. I have peppermint in there, hyssop, lemon balm, uh, and I actually use a little bit of black peppercorn too. Um, so it adds this like rich spice earthiness to I the, get the peppercorn on there for sure. Um, and the way I approached it that way, this is over 60 iterations that I did distillations trying to find the right blend of herbs uh, to create this product. Um, traditionally, absinthe is described as sort of drinking an alpine meadow. Mm-hmm. I go hiking all the time. Georgia's great for our forests, mm-hmm. great for our parks. Uh and I wanted to bring some of that into the bottle because I see spirits as a bottled experience. Right. Um, so I was trying, and this is one of those trial and error distilling things. I kept trying to put that black peppercorn in the maceration to distill with. Right. When you distill black peppercorn, at least for me, it tastes like boiled peppers, which is not what I wanted in the spirit. Right. <laughs> Ended up going in the coloration phase to add this like bright peppery kind of uh, kind of finish to the product. Cool. And um, I wanted to ask you, and let's go ahead and like clear the air right now, like a couple of the biggest misconceptions about absinthe that we can just go ahead and clarify for everyone right now. Absolutely. So I, think I would say one is the wormwood. Wormwood being dangerous. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to pop right to that because I, you know, I'm still serving. I'm on the floor. So when people learn that I distill absinthe, you know, usually the first thing I hear is, uh, am I going to get so high, you know, or yeah. something like that. Totally false, uh, and I wouldn't be allowed to sell this product, you know, in the U.S. <laughs> unless uh, I paid but off it, someone it, real it's big. It's funny how that that the lore and the legend of absinthe, it, yeah, how, how demonized it was. It it's kind of uh, the history plays a big part there. Um, because actually, that was the wine industry. It right. was the wine industry. You're right. absolutely right. It was propaganda mm-hmm. um, against absinthe. So the f- the first thing I like to dismiss is fears, and some people, you know, that takes takes away the you know the magical essence of it but you know at at its root it's just alcohol treated as alcohol respected as alcohol um it's totally safe uh wormwood has less thujone than rosemary right uh so your thanksgiving turkey has more of it than uh than your absinthe glass okay cool um we're coming to our last few minutes but i did want uh to talk a little bit more about future trends and and what we're seeing ahead 
Uh, Michael, like in your experience, you know, you've been doing this, you know, for longer than anyone inside the perimeter distilling. Um, what kind of trends are you seeing and what kind of things should we be looking for in 2018? As far as industry-wide, and I mean, when you talk about inside the perimeter of the industry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just three of us. Uh, I mean, I, I honestly, still is worthy of noting. We're, I mean, we're, that, we're still so young. Yeah. I, I don't know that you're really even seeing trends uh, just yet. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, again, as Jazz referenced earlier, uh, you, we can kind of look to the craft beer industry to get kind of a, an mm -hmm. idea of maybe where things are headed. Um, but again, it's just, it's it's all still so young. Uh, you know, these new laws that just started, I, I mean, it, it changed how breweries operate for, for distilleries. It, it like just completely flipped, not only the business model, but just the way you experience when you come in to see us now. If, if you would have come in before September 1, you had to take your legally mandated tour when you right. want to or not Great. you know you got three half ounce samples mm -hmm. you know little thimbles of, of booze and you know basically you know if you wanted to hang around and talk to us that was great if not you know yeah. it, it it wasn't like when you go to a brewery you can sip on beer uh so now being able to do cocktails being able to showcase what our spirits can do it it, it changes that experience in so many ways and mm -hmm. um you know it allows people to come in and just relax and enjoy themselves have a cocktail True. um and so you and so yeah let's, let's talk about that so you have you have cocktails now thursday friday saturday yeah thursday friday saturday five. six six to nine six. on thursdays and fridays and saturdays uh three to eight and uh, then you have regular uh distillery tours on saturday yeah, yeah, it, it, we do tours just basically as people come in. Uh, Saturdays tend to be when we see the most people. Sure. Um, if you want to come in when it's a little bit quieter, Thursday yeah, so, and Friday is a little bit better. But um, for all you guys listening out there, if you haven't checked out uh, this distillery, you really should. And and like Michael's saying, like you, there's so much more of an experience now for distilleries, having tasting rooms, having cocktails available, being able to sell product at, right from the source, um, and now you know. Um, having all these fun little tours that you can go to as well so jazz why don't you tell us a little bit about hope springs and what what you guys are doing absolutely so we're over in lilburn georgia uh we are uh essentially just right outside the perimeter north of stone mountain uh, and since those laws have changed we were just all production based mm -hmm. um but right now we have uh the ttb reviewing our uh, new layout we're going to be building in a tasting room soon so that we can offer cocktails and a little bit more intensive tours as well so we're still in that process. Yeah, let me know about that as well. Because we'd love to, to support what you're doing. And and uh, for people who don't know, what, did you tell them where Hope Springs is? Hope Springs over in Lilburn, Lilburn, historic Lilburn. Okay, yeah. So if you're in the Lilburn area or if you guys find yourself out there, that's definitely uh, a fun thing to check out. So any other comments about what you guys project for the future real quick, one-liners? I'm hoping that we have uh, you know, a <laughs> distillery festival soon this is the place of festivals and events uh and i can't wait until we have enough that we can have our own that'd be great yeah we have to serve real like quarter ounce pours for everybody <laughs> if that's <Yeah>. the case <laughs> <laughs> biggest blackout festival in history <laughs> <laughs> well look uh we have like a couple of minutes here and i am going to just kind of give a couple of mount uh chapter announcements since uh we are at the end of the year this is our final bar talk radio show for the year and Inadvertently, it is my last as president of the USBG. Uh, we recently had the new elections for the board, and so your new chapter president starting in January is going to be David Dixon. Uh, <laughs> 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 
also uh, the secretary is going to be Stephanie Haygood, and she has been also very pivotal uh, this year with the chapter, as well as uh, Eric Zolikoffer, who is going to be our treasurer for next year as well. So really excited to have those guys on board. And uh, a couple quick announcements. So in January, first I wanted to go ahead and thank everybody who came out to our happy hour at Golden Eagle. It was just kind of a fun little get-together to just bring everyone together and uh, enjoy something easy <laughs> being in the middle or towards the end of our busiest season of the year. Um, for upcoming bar competitions in February 10th, they have the highball competition at the High Museum. That is always a great competition, so feel free to check that out. Um, your next chapter meeting in January is still being decided, uh, so we will put out on Facebook all that information and probably send out a newsletter in January about all those details. Uh, the biggest thing is uh, on January 14th, we're having our Atlanta USBG holiday party, which both you guys are more than welcome to come. Um, we're going to have uh, going to be at Smith's Old Bar. We're probably going to do some karaoke. We're going to have one of our uh, local bartenders in a band called Greco uh, play, and we're going to be launching our bartender's yearbook with Jack Daniels or I. So it's going to be a fun night and a way of just kind of relaxing after all that. And also at the holiday party, we're doing a swag swap. So if you have shakers, tins, hats, shirts that you guys don't use and wanted to trade it out for someone else, I know that I have a ton of T-shirts that I don't wear. Um, it's always fun to trade and, and maybe get something better out of that. But um, to wrap this all up here in our last minute, uh, I just want to say uh, it's been an honor serving as the chapter president this year. Uh, it's definitely had its ups and downs, but we've had an amazing year with, uh, you know, doing designing a new coin and doing new upgrades to our system, launching this radio show, which is the only podcast for the USBG in the country, uh, having a bar career panel in May, uh, which was great education for a lot of folks, and National Education Week, which both uh, Jazz and Michael here participated in and, and countless others. So really, for four days, we just educated the hell out of people, and we had a great time doing it. And uh, so it's from the bottom of my heart, I just want to thank everybody who made this year happen, like made, like, you know, this one of the could have been one of the most challenging years that we've ever had, probably one of the most productive and one of the most uh, collectively inspiring years that we've had. So, again, thank you so much. Uh, I will still be around. We're going to still do this show next year, so don't cry too much. And then also I am uh, was recently nominated to be the advisor for the executive board starting next year. So we'll still very much be in the cut, but just wanted to say that uh, this has been a fantastic year, and thank you guys for all your love and support. So that being said, Jazz, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. This was highly informative. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. us. Yeah. yeah, and, uh, you know, you guys have a great <coughs> holiday and a happy new year. Thank you guys for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time at the next round of Bar Talk Radio. Cheers. Thank you again for joining us and our guests on Bar Talk Radio. Use the social media links here to share today's show and stay tuned for the next episode of Bar Talk Radio, brought to you in part by the United States Bartenders Guild Atlanta Chapter. Connect on Facebook at Atlanta USBG Chapter or visit usbg.org and check out more episodes at bartalkradio.org.